Hello, everybody. This is Reading with Randos, A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis, Episode 8. Uh, I'm Job. I guess I attend first Christian nowadays. I don't know what that means. And I'm looking forward to this episode. <laughs> I'm Jeff. Um, I identify as Jeff. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I'm Anamik. I'm a I'm a Christian. I'm a student. So, yeah. Welcome. This is Anamik's uh, debut on the Randos channel. So welcome. She's part of the Discord community in the Paul Vanderkleosphere, like the rest of us. Yeah. If it's your first episode, you have to grieve. I, I think what's the rule? Father. <laughs> 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 All right, let me uh, let me read the the episode we uh, stopped at last time. The paragraph this is just starting off way too cheery. <laughs> Today I had to meet a man I haven't seen for ten years, and all that time I thought I was remembering him well, how he looked and spoke, and the sort of things he said. The first five minutes of the real man shattered the image completely. Not that he had changed. On the contrary, I kept on thinking, yes, of course, of course. I'd forgotten that he thought that, or disliked this, or knew so-and-so, or jerked his head back that way. I had known all these things once, and I recognized them the moment I met them again, but they had all faded out of my mental picture of him. And when they were all replaced by his actual presence, the total effect was quite astonishingly different from the image I had carried about with me for those ten years. How can I hope that this will not happen to my memory of age, that it is not happening already, Slowly, quietly, like snowflakes, like the small flakes that come when it is going to snow all night. Little flakes of me, my impressions, my selections are settling down on the image of her. The real shape will be quite hidden in the end. Ten minutes, ten seconds of the real age would correct all this. And yet, even if those ten seconds were allowed me, one second later the little flakes would begin to fall again. The rough, sharp, cleansing tang of her otherness is gone. So the first episode, uh, paragraph of this episode is, what pitiable Kant to say, she will live forever in my memory. Live? That is exactly what she won't do. You might as well think like the old Egyptians that you can keep the dead by embalming them. Well, nothing persuades us that they're gone. What's left? A corpse, a memory, and in some versions, a ghost. All mockeries or horrors. Three more ways of spelling the word dead. It was age I loved. And if I wanted to fall in love with my memory of her, an image in my own mind, it would be a sort of incest. Kind of straight to the point, I'd say. <laughs> we often love the memory of somebody else, I think. A thought that comes to me about this is um, this this idea of I, I like how he's identifying that the memory of someone is not them themselves. It's not the totality of that person. So my my memory of <laughs> my memory of of um, Job or my memory of uh, Anamik, it's, it's, 
not you, right? It's, it's just the impression that's been left on me. Um, and so from, from that perspective, I think Lewis has an interesting insight here, but I, I feel like he's kind of getting stuck because the, he's talking about the memory of a person that he's lost, but I just now referenced, you know, my memory of, of people who are here right now. And the, the things that you say to me uh, in this conversation, the, the way that I hear them, it's, there are ways that they're landing. There's like, um, I think it was, I think it was in Karen Wong's first conversation with Paul Vanderclay where she mentioned some Russian proverb about um, every truth. I'm going to get it wrong, but anything that's a truth, by the time it leaves one person's lips and reaches another person's ears, turns into a lie. Because that truth runs through the filter of me trying to articulate it. And then it runs through the filter of you hearing what I said, but it's not necessarily the exact 100% pure thing that I said. So it's, it's different. And so from that perspective, even what I'm receiving from the living being is not really ultimately them. So it's just like, it's just, in a way, it's a memory because it's, it's something that's already passed by in time by the time it's, it's reached me. I don't know if that makes sense, but kind of like, you know, a speed of light type thing where we look at the stars and what we're seeing are things from millions and millions of years ago. It could be a star that's already gone, but the light's just now hitting us if, depending on how far away it is. Well, you, you, really, you truncate that, that um, concept. And, you know, the words that I'm saying right now, by the time they're reaching you on some kind of scale in time, they're already dead. They've already passed. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of getting lost in where I'm going with all this. But I just, I think that Lewis maybe is, like, he's just on the, on the threshold of, of the idea almost. It's like, even when she was with you, you weren't fully getting her. And I know that's not helping somebody that's grieving. It's just more of a, a thought that's coming to mind with all this. Does, does that make any sense? Yeah, it's kind of Kantian, if you're familiar with Kant. Just his name. Wait, Kant, what pitiable Kant to say, she will live forever in my memory. <laughs> Bad pun. Not allowed. <laughs> tisk tisk. <laughs> but I think, too, he's, like, in the same way that you can't truly know, like, it's debatable whether you can even really know yourself, but you can't really know another person fully hmm. in the same way that God would know them. Then it's also, it's true of both the dead and the living, but perhaps with the living, it's different in that you get a new feed of information and your your idea of them gets updated whereas when they're when a, somebody is dead then your only um your only information you have about that person is what happened in the past which is prone to distortion with time what do you think job uh <laughs> I wonder if that's why we use stories as abstractions for people. Uh, 
I don't know if it's in any way relevant, but I mean, Lewis says she'll live as some sort of ghost in my head and I can't love a ghost. But I, I guess if you look at Christian people, I'm trying to, uh, let's see, they very much seem to love a person based on stories they have, hmm. which are also kind of only an approach, uh, 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 an approximation. That makes me think of sometimes when you sit down with, with people like a friend or a family member that you haven't seen in a while, um, or just getting an opportunity to sit down with someone and, and uh, relax with them and enjoy your time with them. Sometimes you retell stories, right? That you remember of experiences that you had with them. And, you know, it, it draws out new things. And so one of the things that I think Lewis is missing right here is he knows in his, you know, in his current existence, as far as he knows, he's never going to be able to draw forth anything new from her again, right? It is all just the, the stories that are, that are ossified and, and locked and not even that, you know, he, he talked about earlier how he's worried that his, his memory of her will start to fade. You know, he'll start to lose um, the solidity of, of what he can even recover right now. Yeah. But I, are you heading towards the whole idea that you could have new interpretations? Like earlier today, I was talking with Andreas on the discord about, Rene Girard's mimetic theory, which I didn't know, and then I read about it, and he gives his whole other view of the the, the sacrifice, mm. and like so, you don't have more information; you have a new interpretation. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're trying to say? Well, not necessarily, but I mean that's that's an interesting point because as you reflect back on the memories that you still hold. Um, the shape of those memories could change, but then also, you know, you, you're always a different person every time you look back on something. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that a story is so interesting is because as, as you learn more and you grow or you have different experiences, the, the texture of those stories start to look different, different things start to um, reveal themselves. And so as mm -hmm. you're looking back over the, the story of, a person and, and your memory of them, especially someone who you've lost. Um, you know, uh, something that I experienced with, um, with my dad, whenever I was, you know, 10 or 11 years old, will look very different to me, you know, as a, as a man in his mid forties, um, because I will then be experiencing it as someone who has been a father at that point or run into some similar challenges of, of just trying to make it through life um, as an adult. And so, yeah, I think that there, there are new things that can be gleaned from that. Um, but whenever you're going through a, a grieving process, if you haven't had that, um, if you haven't had that intuition um, or that realization that that can happen, you know, you're always, you're like, if, if I could have, if I could have new inter interpretations of the story of a, of a person, right? Versus the person themselves coming and bringing forth new, active, live, living things to me. I would always pick the living thing over the sure. trying to reinterpret the, the old stuff, right? 
because there's I think that's that's almost a balance of, of order and chaos. You know, the order is is the memory. The order are the things that I can go back through and rummage around in and maybe, you know, find some new things. But for the most part, they're kind of they're kind of settled in. They're 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 um, they're positioned. But the, the chaotic part is always the living being, uh, the person that can come to me where we've talked about this in, in prior episodes where I think I know what this person is going to say or I know how they're going to react to this situation. And probably most of the time I'm right. But every once in a while, I'm going to completely be, you know, um, surprised. It's just like, oh, my gosh, I wasn't expecting <laughs> this person to react this way. There must be some new information that I am unaware of. You know, there's, there's yeah. unmapped territory. Uh oh. Uh -oh. You still with us, Anamik? I can hear you. But I don't know what happened to the video. Hmm. Uh, I could read the next paragraph while ah. you sort your video. Ah, there, no, there she is. Okay, you're back. <laughs> Victory. Uh, Anamik, did you uh, have any further comments on this paragraph? Well, it's getting back to what Jeff was saying about new information and impressions too. When you get new impressions, new information about people too it tends to change how you interpret what you previously knew so i think lewis is kind of worried that he's going to deify his memory of age and that he's going to idealize it mm. and i know it's it's classic error never say what the author is intending to do but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think that's okay here. Your your qualifier can always be. It seems like. Look, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Lewis, Lewis is dead. Oh, we have. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing. Uh, I could go on to the next one. Let's do it. I remember being rather horrified one summer morning long ago when a burly, cheerful, laboring man carrying a hoe and a watering pot came into our churchyard and, as he pulled the gate behind him, shouted over his shoulder to two friends, See you later. I'm just going to visit mom. He meant he was going to weed and water and generally tidy up her grave. It horrified me because this mode of sentiment, all this churchyard stuff, was and is simply hateful even inconceivable to me. But in the light of my recent thoughts, I am beginning to wonder whether, if one could take that man's line, I can't, there isn't a good deal to be said for it. A six-by-three-foot flower bed had become mum. That was his symbol for her, his link with her. Caring for it was visiting her. May this not be in one way better than preserving and caressing an image in one's own memory? The grave and the image are equally linked with the irrecoverable and symbols for the unimaginable. But the image has added disadvantage that it will do whatever you want. It will smile or frown, be tender, gay, ribald, or argumentative just as your mood demands. It is a puppet of which you hold the strings. Not yet, of course. The reality is still too fresh. Genuine and holy involuntary memories can still thank god at any moment rush in and tear the strings out of my hands but the fatal obedience of the image its insipid dependence on me is bound to increase the flower bed on the other hand is an obstinate resistant often intractable bit of reality 
just as mom in her lifetime doubtless was, <laughs> as H was. Makes me think of icons. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Same thing was running through my head. Do either of you visit graves of those who passed? No. I don't. Would you answer why not? Uh, because nobody who died in my family is buried around here. Oh, really? <laughs> simple. Yeah, yeah. No, but I, I mean, they did get buried, I take it. Yeah, I I haven't had a lot of deaths in my family, and those that happened, happened in the Netherlands, so... Ah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, You're yeah. excused. Oh, or is everyone looking at me? Well, <laughs> 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 oh, and if you don't want to answer, Jeff, that's also fine. Um, I... I suppose I haven't really thought about it. I was I was trying to um, think up a really good answer as Anamik was giving the best of all answers. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. Let's see. What would be the, the fairest or the truest thing to say? Um, I'm really bad about visiting the living. <laughs> Really? Uh, so the people that are close to me, uh, well, the people that are that are in my family that live, you know, geographically nearby, um, they're they're about a forty-five minute to an hour drive away, and I, you know, I honestly don't go and see them that often, and I'm not sure. I'm not, I, ha I guess I really haven't thought all that much about um, why. Maybe I need to mm. think about that a little bit offline and I'll report back on episode nine. <laughs> okay, that, that's fine. We don't have to work through it now. <laughs> uh, I guess I should also answer. <laughs> uh, I only have grandparents that passed. I can't say... I mean, it's also the same thing that they're, they're far away, reasonably. It's the Netherlands, but it would be an effort to get there. Uh, what sort of happened is my grandparents helped the families together. That's where everybody would meet. And since they're gone, we don't, well, we don't really meet anymore. Hmm. So that's, that's something that's really interesting when it comes to, to people moving they also they 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 the node in the network is gone so the network fragments yeah so i'm i'm just as guilty i haven't i've been it's something i think about when i read these things like i should probably see the grave go see the grave of my grandparents i've i've seen the graves of my wife's parents in the u.s I have to say something about U.S. graveyards. Those are really strange because you can drive cars on them. <laughs> That's how they're huge. One of them. So where my, my wife's mother is uh, buried is called Resurrection Cemetery. The name would always kind of freak me out. It's kind of <laughs> foreboding. It's like, wait a second. <laughs> what do they expect will happen there? But it's, it's, these things are absolutely huge. Don't they get recycled? No. Nope. They don't. 
No. I mean, over here, you, you can only like have, have a grave place for so long really? afterwards to get recycled. Wow. Well, they make, they make horror movies about that over here. You expect, you expect us to put them in the dikes. I mean, there's only so much room. <laughs> so no, I, I can't help but make jokes. It just happens. Uh, London is even worse for that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I bet. Oh, yeah. I mean, to that degree, I guess, you know, cremation is sort of a, an improvement there. But that was kind of odd because when, when we went to see my wife's father... I mean, there's an urn in, in like a huge monolith of stacked urns. Odd. Just didn't have the same, uh, didn't have the same thing. I guess it doesn't really matter. Whole different discussion, perhaps. <laughs> um, the, the other thought that I had about visiting um, grave sites, it's just, it's not really been anything that, we've ever done it wasn't anything that we did as a as a family you know when i was young for anybody who had passed um i've never been to the gravesite of my grandmother who you know passed before i was born um and i'm not sure if this is the case or not but a plausible explanation could be you know the the tradition that i came up in did not include any kind of iconography um, more of the Protestant type traditions or iconoclastic anyway. And so while we do have grave sites and while we do go through the ceremony of, you know, burying our, our dearly, de our dearly um, departed, almost said dearly beloved, <laughs> our dearly beloved <laughs> departed. Um, I, this thing that, that Lewis explains right here, it does sound a lot like iconography and I can really um, understand what he's talking about. It makes perfect sense. Um, it's just not something that we ever lived out. You know, iconography just in general was um, something that was almost like a stay away kind of thing. <laughs> like iconography and idol are equivalents kind of in the more, you know, Protestant, uh, certainly conservative traditions that I came from. Um, yeah. But yeah, this the idea of of the gravesite um, and the headstone and and everything there that accompanies the the little burial plot um, being an icon or something real real that you could adhere to is an interesting thought um, for me and the people that I've known that have passed away. Um, I don't think that I've had these same temptations that Lewis is running into right here to. Um, you know, turn my memory of the person into something that they, that they weren't. I don't, I don't feel like I'm at risk of that. Um, I could be deluding myself, but I don't feel like that's, that's a, a temptation for me. I feel like different cultures deal with death a lot differently too, because I find that like in the circles I'm from, it's very pragmatic. You know, it's like, oh, somebody died, you bury them. And, you know, just kind of forget about it. <laughs> well, not really, but it's, it's, and I find it strange that America, for being such a pragmatic place, they've got certain things around death, for example, that you have the burial plot forever. It's like, come on, they decompose after a while. You can reuse it, let's be honest. <laughs> it's, yeah, but it, 
Go ahead. It Jim. becomes a bit of a shrine, right? Yeah, but after a certain point, you know, say a hundred years, nobody really cares anymore. You know. Yeah. I don't know if this is a dumb thing to bring up or not, but I alluded to it earlier. There's a movie from the 80s when I was a kid. Uh, it's called Poltergeist. And it's about this, this new house that this uh, suburban family, the suburban house that this family moves into. And it turns out that the house is haunted. And the reason that it's haunted is because the division, this is like a, one of the first houses in this new uh, division that was built. And the housing division was actually built on the um, a Native American sacred grave site. That's actually what happened around here, dude. Okay. They had a, they were building a new subdivision, and then they found a, a Native American burial site. It's like <laughs> such an ordeal. So that was I think that was a theme in the '80s too, because um, Stephen King's book Pet Cemetery is kind of based on that premise as well. Is it was an old uh, but but it was more about the the soil itself was you know had had some type of a spiritual thing going on there, but I I don't know if that's just me because of the way I was impacted by that Poltergeist film whenever I was a kid, but it's almost like yeah I mean burial burial grounds are sacred places so when you talked about hey we're running out of space we don't really have any place that's a very practical you know rationale for it but there's there's a part of me. And perhaps it's an American thing where it's just like, well, yeah, you don't, <laughs> you don't dig up grave sites or you don't, you know, you don't recycle them. My goodness, you know. <laughs> well, and I would add to that, that in America, the idea of ancestry seems very big. Like I'm Irish American, Dutch American, whatever, fourth generation, this and that. And at least in the Netherlands, I, I don't get the impression that that is very alive. That might be part yeah. of the immigrant culture, though, mm -hmm. because America's, you know. Sure, yeah. I, I, but and also that you can't go back and see, like, basically, this is the grave of, you know, where our, fir where our ancestors first walked on land. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, I guess that can be significant if you trace, if you, if part of your, where you derive value from is, where you became an American, which makes sense. I mean, but in the Netherlands, like, yeah, we've sort of always kind of been swamp dwellers. It's, it's just sort of what we do. <laughs> so. There was, um, I think this is more transformed now into uh, like a, more of a DNA, like the 23andMe type tracking thing, but it seems like sometime over the last 10 years, maybe 10, even 15 years ago, there was a big push for a while where, you know, there were websites like ancestry.com mm. where you could tie back, you know, at least over here in the Americas where your ancestors came from. If, if there were records of such a thing. And um, I know one of my family members made it a big project to go and try to go back as far as we could to figure out, you know, where, where did my, where did my grandfather come from? Where did my great, grandfather come from you know and i think we were able to to get back about 500 years to you know somewhere over in europe surprise i have european <laughs> i have european we had no idea <laughs> ancestors so um 
but yeah, no, I, no, nothing Native American. <laughs> I mean, there could be. I, I no don't. running for president. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> I'm announcing today. Yeah, yeah. My intention yeah. to run against Kanye in 2024. The right pace for America. <laughs> uh, Yo, you're going to be my, uh, have you run my uh, campaign. You'll be my. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're, we're, we're getting way too far off topic. Uh, let's see. We're here to talk about yeah. grief. Let's bring it down. Yes. No, no laughter. No. No laughter, sorrow, Calvinism. Uh, Calvinism. Oh yeah. goodness. <laughs> Somber. Yeah. Is anyone having fun? Is that fun I hear? Stop it. No fun. <laughs> I'll just go to the next episode. <laughs> Paragraph. Oris H is. Can I honestly say that I believe she now is anything? The vast majority of the people I meet say at work would certainly think she is not, though naturally they wouldn't press the point on me. Not just now, anyway. What do I really think? I have always been able to pray for the other dead, and I still do, with some confidence. But when I try to pray for age, I halt. Bewilderment and amazement come over me. I have a ghastly sense of in reality of speaking into a vacuum about a non-entity. Hmm. Unreality. It's got to be weird to pray for somebody who's dead who was so close to you. I mean, I don't pray for the dead at all, so... It's like, what if they can hear you? Now, the Catholics kind of do that, right? Like, you get them out of purgatory? Is, is that right? You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> get Andreas in here. <laughs> or Carlos. Where's Carlos when you need him? <laughs> Hang on, yeah. I'll message him real quick. <laughs> he, he might actually be no he, he's probably not online right now um no i mean i think there was this thing where let's not go into that i'm gonna all my catholicism wrong like they worship mary and all that i don't know anything so let's let's not go there yeah yeah that, the only people that i hear say that um catholics worship mary is non-catholics <laughs> yeah i know i know yeah specifically if you get up background <laughs> what was that on a week? I said specifically of a Huguenot background. They, yeah. No, I, I, I get that a lot around here. That a lot of people think that. Mm. The, the, what do, what do they think about Huguenots? No, no, Huguenots. no. no. The, the people of the Huguenot background think that the Catholics worship Mary. Really? Yeah. Well, it's iconoclasm at its at its finest. <laughs> okay because i thought that no i probably have that all wrong okay i had this idea that the catholic church in my town had something to do with the huguenots the huguenots were the, the the french reformed yeah like the french Calvinists who kind of got chased out of france yeah probably not related then maybe they were chased out by catholics i don't know they were chased out by catholics they were iconoclasts and they kind of pissed the uh, catholics off <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. Then. Like, stop breaking our stuff. Okay. Uh, yeah, I. I'm just looking at this. Um, the first part of this segment you just read, Job, and it reminds me of 
I'm a little behind on Paul Vanderclay's videos, but I've just been watching some that are maybe about a, a week or so behind. But a couple of times now, he's talked about how um, people in a secular frame um, today, and, and this was what reminded me of this is where he said the vast majority of people I meet, say, at work, would certainly think that she is not now anything, right? Um, naturally, they wouldn't press the point on me, not just now anyway, you know, mm -hmm. and Paul Vanderclay has mentioned, you know, at funerals, you know, people don't, people who are of a secular mindset, they're not saying, yeah, that's it. They're gone. You know, they're, they don't say it. <laughs> it doesn't play well at funerals. And, and that's just what that reminded me of is, you know, now that he is face to face with it, um, you know, he's been, he's been a Christian for, I want to say at least 20 years at this point. Um, I'd have to check the timeline on his age, but you know, now that, now that it's, it's right in front of him and he's actually facing death again, you know, he faced it on the front end of his life as a child when he lost his mother, but now on the tail end as an adult, as a, as a more mature um, Christian, now it's in front of him again. And, and here he is faced with this idea of, you know, she's, she's nothing. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it, you know, as I'm going through this, this prayer process, it's, it's feeling like there's nothingness, nothingness there. And I think it's just playing on, you know, uh, the fear certainly of, of people who, whose faith rests in God and in, um, Christ that, oh, wow. <laughs> what if there really is nothing on the other side? And yeah, that is kind of that fear is playing on him right here. Well, really? I mean, I don't think he ever sort of wavered in that regard. He seems to just, as far as I understand, this people around him tried to sort of assure her, reassure her, well, she's gone now, she's not here anymore. That's this poem that I think works well with this, which is called Do Not Stand at My Grave and Weep by Mary Elizabeth Fry. Do not stand at my grave and weep. I am not here, I do not sleep. I am a thousand winds that blow. I am the diamond glints on snow. I am the sun on ripened grain. I am the gentle autumn rain. When you awaken in the morning's hush, I am the swift uplifting rush of quiet birds in circled flight. I am the soft stars that shine at night. Do not stand at my grave and cry. I am not there. I did not die. <laughs> Which makes me think of the whole become one with everything, pantheism slash deism sort of thing. Mm. Instead of, I mean, because I, I actually hadn't really thought about this, Jeff, but like if the whole Christian frame is, is true, well, then my grandparents aren't really like gone in the way that people tell Clive that age is gone. Mm -hmm. That's kind of weird to think about, really. I hadn't really, that hadn't made it into my equation yet. <laughs> How do you people deal with this? Uh, well, you know, I, I don't know that this is a, this is necessarily a solid thought, but it roams into my mind from time to time. It probably happened more often when I was younger than maybe it does now. But, you know, I, I wonder if <laughs> it's an old trope too, that they stick in, in movies a lot. You know, I wonder if uh, my, my grandmother or my grandfather is looking down on me now and can, you know, see what I'm doing and see. It, it's funny, actually, I had this thought run through my mind again here recently 
um, not necessarily in those terms, but just it was more wondering like, I wonder what my grandparents would think about this. It's funny because when 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 we were kids, um, my grandparents would try to entice us. I can't remember if it was to read the Bible or just to memorize the books of the Bible. I I can't remember which one it is now, right? Um, and they would they would even offer to pay us if we would do it. But as kids, we were just you know, ah, meh, that's boring. I'm not interested in that. You know, we. We didn't have mercenary hearts when it came to <laughs> when it came to <laughs> our time and and what we wanted to pay attention to. You know, we wanted to we wanted to play. We wanted to ride our bikes. We wanted to watch TV. We wanted to watch movies. We wanted to do things that were fun. And this was most certainly not fun. And it wasn't worth money <laughs> to trade fun uh, for that exercise. And now some you know I I do have my practice of of handwriting the Bible. And I've already, I was talking to uh, um, briefly Ancient World on uh, the Discord, and he said to me, you know, he, he asked me where I was, and I told him, you know, I was just finishing up the book of uh, Joshua. And he's like, man, just, just getting through the Torah itself is, is an accomplishment all in, 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 and, in and of itself. And, and I was just thinking, Oh man, you know, I just kind of moved through this and I'm just trudging along and I wasn't even thinking about it. But you and know, no the other one's day, paying you. Say again? <laughs> and no one's yeah. paying you. No, and nobody's paying me. And my, you know, I'm wondering what my grandparents would think. <laughs> they yeah, would, we got them after all. Yeah. 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 They got what they wanted. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would have chats about religion with my grandpa and I, I was, I was so young. Like I must've been like, I don't know, eight or nine. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to think what, what I would have discussed about that with him now that, yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, when, when you take the whole Christian frame from how I understand it right now, the whole idea of heaven is that it seems to be more related to, infinite love so you know whatever you're doing i'm sure they're cool with it <laughs> i'm just i'm just making stuff up i am not a pastor i am not, i don't have a license to say these things <laughs> well and i'm not so sure that the oh i i don't have clearly defined ideas on this but i'm not so sure that the dead are really preoccupied with what's going on on earth you know I don't think they experience time the same way, but I don't think they, uh, I think those that are with God are more preoccupied with that. I, I think that's kind of more important, you know, worshiping God or paying attention to me. Let's, let's do the latter or the former. Sorry. I think about it in a way of it might be both too, right? You know, what's important to God is what is important, should be important to us. And, and, you know, we'll find more of our purpose and more meaning in what's important in God. And, you know, we are important to God in some way for some reason. That's <laughs> um, still a mystery to us. And so I think um, my my grandparents in particular that, that have passed on, you know, if, if you think about them in the Christian frame as, as being with God, then anything about me that's important to God, of course, would be important to them. And, and I agree with you on to make it's, you know, they, they don't experience, I would, I would presume that time is not experienced in the same way to those who have passed to the, to the next plane of existence. But, 
um, on some level, you know, whatever is important in us to God, I think is, is a connection point for them as well. And it's probably beyond anything that we could really, you know, fully understand right now. Okay. Uh, yeah. We have about 15 minutes left, so I think we might be able to do one more paragraph. Let's go. The reason for the difference is only too plain. You never know how much you really believe anything until it's truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. It is easy to say you believe a rope to be strong and sound as long as you are merely using it to cord a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you could really trust, how much you really trusted it? The same with people. For years, I would have said that I had perfect confidence in BR. Then came the moment when I had to decide whether I would or would not entrust him with a really important secret. That threw quite a new light on what I called my confidence in him. I discovered that there was no such thing. Only a real risk tests the reality of a belief. Apparently the faith, I thought it faith, which enables me to pray for the other dead, has seemed strong only because I have never really cared, not desperately, whether they existed or not. Yet I thought I did. Some nice self-analysis there, Lewis. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't read this far along in several years, but I, I was waiting for one of my other parts, one of my other, <laughs> one of my favorite parts of, of this book to come out. I thought it was going to be in this paragraph, but it didn't. But yeah, that idea of, he, he goes on to talk about it a little bit more later. Um, but that idea of the faith that you think that you have, I think that's, I think that's a truism that he's really touching on quite astutely right here is, the strength of your faith, you don't realize how strong it is until the thing that you believe in really comes into risking something that's important to you. And I think he uses a great example there with, with the rope. I just, I think that's, that's fantastic. Um, you know, my, my experience with my divorce is, you know, I, I started doing some self analysis like this and saying, you know, um, there was a point where, you know, I wanted, I wanted that, marriage to be able to to last and i didn't i didn't want to to let go it wasn't it wasn't time um and there was a part of me that says well if you don't get what you want if if you don't get to keep this marriage you know are if god doesn't give you what you want are you still going to be on team god i guess is a funny way of saying it you know am, am i still going to be Am I still going to be in league with God or am I just basically, if I don't get what I want, God, I'm out of here. You know, um, these were serious questions that I was asking myself. And so that was, that was, um, that was a precipice that I was, that I was hanging over at the time. Mm. And so, yeah, some of, some of the most difficult um, things that we encounter really can test. And it, test is always such a, a difficult thing because you almost think of it in a way of, well, you know, why are you testing me on something that I already knew? My experience with that is with God is, yeah, God, God already knew it, but I didn't know it. And this was, 
some of the things that I've gone through are the only ways that I could actually see what it was that was really there as far as who I was and how far along I was and, and what was actually inside of me and what, what I actually did believe, what was true and what was false um, about what I believe, I suppose. So in that sense, you got to test the rope. Hmm. Proof yeah. of the pudding is in the eating sort of idea. Yeah. Well, it kind of reminds me of the book of Job, what you were saying. Job was like, ha, <laughs> yeah. But where, where he, it's, he gets tempered. He gets, you know, he gets put through a lot. And to a certain extent, none of us really know why, <laughs> you know, because part of me is like, why did he have to go through all of that? That's an awful lot to go through. Yeah. I have opinions on that. No, not because I, my name is Joe, by the way, it's <laughs> irrelevant, but that goes into the whole uh, morality of God thing. Yeah. So maybe for another time. Well, I, I don't want to take us down that rabbit trail, but I do, mm. I do want it to I did want to briefly touch on the book of Job um, because I've been reflecting on it recently and I didn't read it, but I did watch that Bible project video um, that they did on the book of Job. Um, and as I was watching it and experiencing it again, I was just I was just amazed at how phenomenal that that story in and of itself is as a way of of being a representation, uh, an abstraction of human existence. Right. Um, all, all, everything that seems to happen in the book of Job on certain levels feels like a, an aggregate of what the human experience is. It's like we still. That's the way that life is. We don't, the book of Job ends almost with a, well, before, you know, God flips things around and gives things back to him or, or doubles what he had before. As he's sitting there and he's yelling, you know, why is all this stuff happening? In human existence, there really is no answer as we're experiencing it. You know, why all the suffering? Why do we have to go through this? Um, and... I don't know. I, I can't fully articulate just what I was feeling the last time that I went through and, and I watched a, a recounting of, of that story, but it's almost like everything in there that we have problems with maybe about that story and about God as a character in that story. If we do have problems, if you take God away, if, if you go into a, an atheistic view of life, those questions and those problems are still there. You know, I don't have the answer for why this happens. You know, things get taken away from, you know, bad things happen to good people. Um, and there's no answer for it, whether you have God in the equation or not. Um, it seems, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm running off in crazy directions here, but I just, I just think that that story is, is so great because it just feels like that's what human existence is like. And sometimes you do get good things after bad things happen. And it, it seems sometimes that there's no rhyme or reason to it. Like, I don't know. 
No, but the, the problem with this story of Job is that in this case, it's it's a wager. So there's some sort of malicious intent. Yeah, we've you you've said that before, and I still get hung up on the word wager. Okay, bet challenge. Not even a bet or a challenge, but it's almost like uh, it's almost. I mean, it it is in a certain sense, but in another, it's not. It's like it's like it's like. God says, it's, God says, look at this great car I made. And Satan shows up and says, I bet that car won't start if you treat it roughly. <laughs> and God says, go ahead, go total that car. I bet it'll start each time. <laughs> you go do that. See, but here's another question. If that, that well, you call it a wager. If that had happened, would, uh, there goes my video again. Would that have, would the events of the book of Job still have happened? Would he have had to go through all of that pain and tragedy again? Or not again, but would he have had to go through that anyway? Right. What is the purpose behind it? Maybe, but it's like walking into a door or somebody slamming the door in your face. Yeah. I mean, we can't know what would have happened. It kind of feels different when somebody slams it in your face. Yeah. <laughs> So that's that's the issue I have with it. Probably a different conversation. <laughs> we'll have yeah, a, a Job Observed will be a new reading series. I don't think it's, that won't be popular. <laughs> Job on Job, you know, a, 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 a in Job. retrospective. Uh, <laughs> Job's case against God. Yeah, yeah. My second Job. <laughs> Getting back to what you were saying, though, Jeff, you were you were saying that um, you kind of you kind of hosed with or without God in terms of understanding evil, but I don't think that's the, or tragedy rather, not evil per se, because to a certain extent, if, if there is no God, then it's it's all meaningless. Then it's not a narrative; it's just a random series of events. But if you have God on the equation, then there is some, or at least there's a potential for meaning in the situation. Uh-oh. Uh, have I lost you? Oh, no, we can, I can tell you. My, my computer just glitched. Country internet, I'm telling you. <laughs> I, I think, um, no, I, th I think you're right. Um, the, the point that I was, that I think that I was trying to make as, as I think about it more is, People, people are, I think, very tempted to remove God from the equation to make more sense out of life. And if you remove God from this story, it doesn't help the story at all, right? These, these things that, that Job, um, the, the story of Job demonstrates are things that happen in reality they are a representation of how we experience existence where we get beat up by reality um, these terrible horrible things happen to us and if you pull god out of the out of the equation to try to make it better 
it, it doesn't take those things away. It might feel like, oh, these bad things are intentionally happening to me because somebody is being um, uh, malevolent towards me. Okay, well, I, I remove that malevolence from the equation. Does, does it make, would it, would it make losing my loved ones in a horrible accident any better? Does it, if, if somebody did that on purpose versus it just happening randomly, does that mean, oh, well, I feel better now that they're gone and they're dead? Of course you don't feel better, but at least it's just, just the tragedy and, and not, oh, this ended up fitting God's plan better than anything else. Hmm. But in the case of tragedy, is it really that? I mean, part of it too is the consequence of sin in the world, but is it perhaps that we just have a finite understanding of what's going on, that we're finite creatures bound by time? That's always the argument. Time. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm a Calvinist. I, <laughs> I, I, that doesn't fly with me because the, the the story says that God and Satan basically hashed out a challenge of creation while poor, poor, virtuous Job had to suffer for it. Well, I think if it was just, if it was just like, if Satan had walked, you know, strolled along and said, hey, G, how's it going? Then... God, like, pretty good. See how my creation isn't it beautiful. Look at my servant Job. So there's all this tragedy because I gave them free will, but yeah, he is virtuous. <laughs> and Satan would have said, that sure is impressive. And, he, you know, he would have gone and do something else. There would still have been tragedy and suffering, but, well, that, that's just what is. <laughs> So it feels in a way like God is lodging extra tragedy at him. Right. For no apparent reason other than just to spite Satan. No. I mean, other, because, because otherwise there's the whole interference with free will and... <laughs> yeah, there's no easy way out. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's... Um, <clears throat> we're screwed either way. I... I would need to think about this more to be able to explain it. So I probably, I probably shouldn't risk <laughs> trying to talk about what I'm going to go ahead and risk talking about. <laughs> we are at the hour mark as well. Yeah, we're getting, we're getting very close or we're, we're right at it. I think we started maybe about, I don't know, 55 minutes ago, roughly. Um, I'm trying to think if there's a concise way for me to say this. So I'll, I'll just throw it in there. Is one of the things that it seems to me, just my most recent experience with the story of Job, is God's point with all of it is everything um, that we hold dear, um, anything that's pleasurable, anything that, um, anytime that we find joy in a person or a possession, that those things are those are icons even the people even our dearest loved ones those are those are icons those are things that are pointing to a deeper more abundant um joy but more importantly a fulfilling um existence that resides 
in God. And so to me, what was happening in the story of Job is Satan, Job gets this. Um, it, it wouldn't matter if he had these things from me or not. He actually wants me more than anything else um, because he knows that without me, none of these things have any meaning. Um, and so you can, you can take them away from him. He ultimately knows that he will never lose those things because they are all inside of me. And he is ultimately tied to me. Uh, he doesn't, he doesn't curse me. <clears throat> you know, he, he still praises me and he will, <clears throat> excuse me. He does and he will, <clears throat> my goodness, maybe I shouldn't talk anymore, <laughs> through all this. And the place that he lands at the end of the story is he's still like, ah, why is this happening? And finally God <clears throat> reveals himself. <clears throat> I can't talk anymore. Uh, in, the, in the storm cloud or how, however God um, presents. Um, but ultimately the place that it ends is, you know, Job is saying, yeah, this, this is so far beyond me, but ultimately, you know, what Job did through that whole story was he didn't, he didn't give up on God because he didn't have the things that he loved or he wanted anymore. You know, the, 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 the absence of tragedy, um, peace, uh, abundance, love, um, camaraderie, not being lonely, all of all of those wonderful things were were stripped away from him and yet he ultimately didn't do what his wife was it his wife mm -hmm. told him to do you know curse god and die and he wouldn't no matter what came his way and god was essentially saying this, this is an example of how to live this is an example of how to be human <clears throat> is no matter what you're tempted with to abandon God, um, if you if you stay the course, um, you're you're actually holding on to everything that you've ever desired <clears throat> and more. So that's an interesting parallel towards Jesus, where God also makes an example of how to live mm. through unpleasant experience yes to say that to, un to make it an understatement <laughs> unpleasant experience okay i should Come probably read you. it again what was that anamik i said on that cheery note <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah we had to we can't end we can't end on happiness this is a grief series mm. <laughs> But uh, I think it was a good episode. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks everybody. Until next time. Bye-bye.